Bring It On is a public affairs program exploring the people, issues, and events affecting the African-American communities in South Central Indiana and beyond. Bring It On is a forum for the people, by the people, produced by an independent team of volunteers working at the studios of Community Radio WFHB in Bloomington, Indiana, and financially supported by listeners like you. only weekly community radio show committed to exploring the people, issues, and events impacting the African-American community. Good evening. I'm Leela Randall. Today, you'll also hear from Bring It On contributor Beverly Callender Anderson, who will promote an upcoming Bloomington Comedy Attic um, performance by Tiffany Haddish. Tiffany is well known for the movies Girls Trip, and Nikisha on the Carmichael Show, all in the next hour on Bring It On. Have you seen that movie yet? No, I have not. I'm going to go see it soon. But I can't wait to go see her show. You, I'm thinking about this, too. I didn't know she was coming, so yeah. it'll be interesting. Okay. But first, back on the 7th of August, we spoke with Dan Cannon regarding his candidacy for office in the Indiana 9th Con- Congressional District. In a July 25th Herald Times article, Liz Watson described her law career as one spent fighting for working people and families. She announced on July 24th she too hoped to take that fight to Washington, D.C. Watson is one of four Democrats now vying for the chance to run in the 2018 election against U.S. Representative Trey Hollingsworth, the Republican incumbent of Indiana's 9th Congressional District, which includes Monroe, Brown, Lawrence, and parts of Morgan County. So this affects us. Us. I'm running for Congress because I believe that if you work hard and play by the rules, you should be able to get ahead. But today, too many hardworking families across Indiana's 9th Congressional District struggle to keep their heads above water, Watson said. I want to represent the people in our district by fighting for better health care, good jobs, and the best public education we can provide for our children. It's time to get to work for Hoosiers and to stop serving the interests of a privileged, wealthy few. Watson served as a labor policy director and chief labor counsel for the Democrats on the U.S. House of Representatives Committee on Education and the Workforce. She ran the Workplace Justice Program at the National Women's Law Center, and she was the executive director of the Georgetown Center on Poverty, Poverty, Inequality, and Public Policy. She joins us by phone today to discuss her candidacy for Indiana's 9th Congressional District. Liz, are you on the phone? I'm here. Thank you so much for having me on the show today. And thank you for joining us. So let's get started by talking a little bit about your candidacy. And even though we've spoken to other candidates, and we're probably going to have a few more on in the future, but you kind of bring a different perspective because you have that inside the beltway uh, uh, knowledge of politics. Yeah, uh, I was working in Congress when the 115th Congress got started. I've been working on things that would make uh, a real difference for Hoosiers uh, and a real difference uh, for African Americans in our community. But I'll tell you, the things uh, that we were trying to get done there in Congress, uh, like raising wages, which disproportionately affects uh, 
uh, black workers because black workers are clustered uh, disproportionately in low-wage jobs, uh, raising wages, um, trying to make, trying to fully fund public education, trying to make uh, school and college more affordable, uh, trying to ensure that we provide summer and year-round jobs for our youth to keep them connected to school, trying to do things like the Second Chance Act, which would ban the box. All of these kinds of policies that would make a real difference for hardworking Hoosiers um, and for the African-American community are things that I've been fighting for my whole life. And I'm sick and tired of a Congress, uh, you know, with Trey Hollingsworth in it and Trump as president that don't have the backs of working people and certainly that are not thinking about racial justice or economic justice. Wow, you, you jumped right into my next question. Uh, I was going to ask you about, you know, issues that are important to the African, African American community. You mentioned jobs, uh, racial justice. Uh, what are some of the other things that, that you see that are, that, that are important to us? Okay. Um, well, I mean, you and I have talked, and, and, you know, I think we all do want uh, to be able to take care of our families, and because of the systemic history of uh, racism and, and ongoing persistence of discrimination in the workplace, you know, we have a situation today where um, one in four black households today have a zero negative net worth um, as compared to less than one in ten white families. There's uh, a huge pay gap between uh, black and white workers, and I'll just give you one illustration. Um, black women have to work seven months longer into 2017 to make the same that a white guy made, a typical uh, white man made in that 12-month period. So that's just wrong. Um, of course, you know, and I, I do subscribe to, you know, what Martin Luther King said when he was planning the Poor People's Campaign before his assassination, that uh, there is no racial justice without economic justice, and that the two are just uh, forever intertwined. Uh, that said, you know, I think we also need to be looking at uh, what's happening today in terms of some of the issues in our schools. Uh, Indiana has leaned, as you know, so far, so hard into vouchers, I think more than any other uh, state in the country, and that's gutting our public schools, which are, you know, where, uh, I mean, you and I both know how public schools are the foundation of our democracy, and it's, it's where we meet each other, and it's where folks come to learn uh, how to be good citizens, and we cannot gut our community institutions. I am very concerned, uh, an issue that I have been uh, concerned about for a long time is the disparate discipline of students of color in our schools. So, you know, I think we really need to uh, have a strong Department of Education that is willing to push back. And, of course, we, we did under President Obama um, in the Office of Civil Rights to push back when there were disparate uh, discipline policies applied to students of color because that's, you know, what leads to the school-to-prison pipeline uh, when, you know, students are essentially, their rights are being violated in school. Um, I have worked... Uh, quite a bit on that issue as it relates to girls. And we see, you know, with girls that very often, um, if they're in a situation in their family that's tough in terms of trauma or abuse, and they act out at school, if they're a girl who's African-American, if they're a girl who's Latina, um, they're pretty likely to be punished instead of provided the help that they need. And of course, that leads to school push out, uh, which is a problem that disproportionately affects students of color and something we need to uh, address. So, um, you know, I, I think there's a piece about school that we really want to be thinking about. Uh, and, of course, 
if you want to, you know, I, I mean, I'm, I don't want to just rattle on. There's, there's many other things we could talk about. Um, you had a person on your program, as I was listening to your whole music, who was talking about uh, her time in prison. And, of course, we have a prison system um, that's kind of bent on mass incarceration. And that, uh, again, uh, does not <laughs> treat uh, black people the same as it treats white people, which results in, you know, very disproportionate uh, 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 prison rates. So I think that that's something we need to do something about, and I am a big proponent um, of reentry, uh, like the Second Chance Act and programs like that, that ensure that, you know, uh, folks who are sentenced are able to come back and have a good job and, and take care of their families. You know, you mentioned uh, mass incarceration. There are some who would equate mass incarceration to modern-day slavery. Would you go that far in characterizing uh, our prison system? I think that, you know, the, the approach that our prison system takes to, you know, locking up particularly black men of color so that they're gone from their families and their communities, you know, for, you know, for whole childhoods um, is, is inexcusable and wrong. And, uh, yeah, um, I... I, I don't think that it's my position to say what slavery is, um, but but I think that it is uh, profoundly wrong and uh, hurts our families, hurts our communities, and it's something that we need to change and we can start to address uh, through sentencing reform in part, but also through reforming our drug laws. You've mentioned the Second Chance Act. Are there other programs that you are going to work on to address some of these issues? Yeah, well, so an issue that I've worked on, um, you know, is, is the issue of uh, out-of-school youth, and I think that's um, an important, it's sort of, you know, if we're going to get to, uh, you know, breaking the school-to-prison pipeline and uh, instead, you know, when students need help, reconnecting them with school and with work, uh, instead of, you know, sort of entrapping them in our juvenile justice system, um, I think it's things like, you know, looking at uh, providing services and support like uh, transitional jobs and summer jobs that can, you know, uh, allow kids to, to reconnect with employment if they're, if they're disconnected. You know, the term disconnected youth refers to youth between the ages of 16 and 24 who are um, not connected to either work or school, right? So um, we developed in the last Congress um, a bill called the Opening Doors for Youth Act, which was reintroduced by my um, former boss, Congressman Bobby Scott, uh, that would provide for summer and year-round jobs for youth. But I mean, beyond that, you know, I think um, we really need to be thinking about what are we doing to bring down the cost of college uh, for folks who want to go there. So, um, you know, that looks like addressing, you know, um, making uh, loans and interest rates, bringing down interest rates and making loans more affordable, um, you know, having summer and year-round Pell uh, programs and, you know, supporting our HBCUs. So, I mean, those are some of the things that I think would help uh, with, you know, opening the doors to economic opportunity fairly and equally for everyone. When uh, you started off, um you mentioned that I think part of your message is uh, good jobs, affordable health care, and high-quality public education. Are those the things that you're running on? Yeah, 
Okay. Um, absolutely. So, you know, when I talk about uh, what it means to have a good paying job, um, in the last Congress I developed a, a, a working families agenda that, that my then boss introduced, Congressman uh, Bobby Scott, and what that was about was um, raising wages. So uh, he was the lead on the minimum wage bill in Congress, and I was uh, proud just now to, I'm very proud to have uh, worked hard on that bill and led that, that effort at the staff level. That's the $15 bill by 2024. Um, and I, I just was at the rally here in Indianapolis with Senator Bernie Sanders, who was the Senate lead on that piece of legislation. Um, and uh, certainly that is very important. Uh, one of the things uh, to think about is uh, black workers benefit significantly, uh, as do all workers, but I think actually um, very significantly from being in a union because it helps to close the wage gap because union wages are more transparent uh, and, you know, some of the discrimination that slips in when, you know, it's a, a good old boys network of setting wages uh, is eradicated in a union setting. So. Uh, Part of that Working Families Agenda was a bill to help uh, strengthen the right to organize and bargain, which uh, makes a big difference for all workers uh, and particularly uh, for black workers. Um, I also uh, worked on, uh, it, as part of that, you know, the issue of juggling work and family life. So when we talk about good jobs, what does that mean? You know, we really need to think about things like affordable childcare, uh, paid family leave, paid sick days. You know, these are things that would allow us to take care of our families and also hold down our jobs. But uh, really, you know, unless you're a highly paid, a highly compensated person, you're not going to have those things. And that's wrong. Um, I worked with uh, Senator Elizabeth Warren's staff on writing a bill that dealt with um, service sector jobs. So. You might know that, you know, when you look at jobs like home health aid and, um, say, you know, waitress and uh, some of those uh, retail jobs, that a lot of those jobs are disproportionately done by women and they're disproportionately done by women of color. Now, in those jobs, what we see is that, you know, I mean, I've talked to uh, so many moms who say, I got my schedule today, you know, two hours before I was supposed to go to work. And then I went in and I started working and I was supposed to work a four-hour shift and they sent me home. Uh, and I didn't get paid for that four hours and I didn't even get paid enough to cover a bus fare. But you know what I did pay for? I paid for child care. Child care. <laughs> so, you know, that's the kind of thing, treating working people um, like they're just sort of cogs in the machine and, you know, without dignity that I think we really need to address. And uh, that's why I did work with uh, Senator Warren's staff to uh, write a bill called the Schedules at Work Act that provides uh, workers in service sector jobs, and, and these are uh, disproportionately women, they're disproportionately women of color, um, with some advance notice of their schedule so that they can plan uh, their school, if they're going to school to get a leg up, so that they can plan their childcare, so they can care for their elders. There's so many of us in the sandwich generation. I'm one of those folks. You know, we're caring for our parents, we're caring for our kids, we're pulled at all ends, and we need employers, you know, who are going to um, just sort of recognize the realities of modern life. So, you know, those are some of the things that when I talk about good jobs, and then I also 
you know, think there are no good jobs unless, unless jobs are free from discrimination, right? Um, so I have, um, as a labor attorney, I have worked to fight back against discrimination. I have uh, represented pregnant workers who were fired unfairly from their jobs uh, because they were discriminated against and other workers who've been cheated out of their pay. Uh, and so, you know, when I wrote the work, Working Families Agenda, I put into it uh, significant protections against discrimination in employment. You know, all of the issues that you mentioned uh, transcend race, and it would it would uplift the uh, quality of life of families across the board. And, and it seems like common sense at any level. Do you see Trey Hollingsworth as being vulnerable on, on any of those issues, or all of them maybe? Absolutely. I, you know, Trey Hollingsworth has been a consistent vote. I mean, sometimes I say a consistent vote for the 1%, and sometimes I say a consistent vote for his dad. So, <laughs> I guess they're synonymous. Um, and, you know, he, I mean, since he got into Congress, he voted to roll, um, I think it was 37,000 workers in our district off their health insurance, you know, in Indiana um, took the Medicaid expansion, which has been so important for our seniors and our kids. Uh, he voted to dismantle the Fair Pay and Safe Workplaces executive, executive Order, and the only thing that that order did is it said, federal contractors, if you're going to get taxpayer dollars, you're going to play by the rules. You're not going to discriminate. You know, you're going to pay people fairly. You're not going to cheat them out of their wages. And if you do, we're not going to give you contracts until you get right. That was too much for him. He had to gut that, too. He voted to dismantle safety and health protection, um, and he was part of, you know, the Republican effort to push, push through an attack on our overtime pay that they uh, had the nerve to call the Working Families Flexibility Act. And what that bill does is it says, instead of actually paying you when you work a 50, 60, or 70-hour week for the extra 10, 20, or 30 hours over 40, Instead of paying you for those hours, we'll give you comp time at some point in the future when we feel like it, which is a time that never, ever materializes for anyone. So not only did they gut the Obama-era rule that would have given 5 million more Americans overtime protection, but they also passed through the House, because that wasn't enough, a bill to gut overtime protections for those few workers. You basically have to be a poverty, you know, in, in earning poverty level wages to have a guaranteed right to overtime pay, and they wanted to gut that too. Yeah, that hurts all of us, absolutely. And I think there's really a message, you know, from Charlottesville um, that I've been thinking about a lot. You know, I feel like they don't want us to work together. That, that, that this is, and of course this has been going on for a long time, you know, that there's, you know, efforts to divide us based on the color of our skin, based on our religion, based on who we love, um, that we really have to reject as un-American. And the single best thing we really could do for our country is, you know, to come together um, and, and to try to lift up each and every one of us. And so, you know, I think that's something I've been thinking about since Charlottesville. I mean, I think that, and, and long before that, that, uh, you know, there are, unfortunately, uh, forces in our country that really want to tear us apart, that really want to pit people against each other, um, when we would be so much better off working together uh, to lift up all of our families and our communities. So, um, I mean, just a second on Charlottesville, oh, which take, I'm sure take, you've been talking about, uh, you know, all week long. And I, 
you know, when we were both there, William, at the at the vigil in Bloomington, um, right after it happened, I and of course, you know, Boston too. I, I think that of course these are sort of forces and elements, and, and you would know this better than me that have been in our country for a very long time, um, but that feel emboldened right now to come to the surface. Um, and I just keep coming back to the idea that, you know. Folks were marching through the streets with neo-Nazi symbols, uh, screaming, you know, uh, racist uh, rhetoric and white supremacist rhetoric at the top of their lungs and anti-Semitic rhetoric. Uh, you know, in, in 2017 is so abhorrent and and to me frightening um, for for everyone who was targeted by that um, and frankly un-American. So. My grandfather uh, fought in World War II, and you know, he, my, this is my Jewish grandfather, and he, you know, uh, captained a ship that brought troops to shore on D-Day uh, to fight back against the Nazis who were bent on world domination. <laughs> and we fought them off there, and right now, they're, you know, these neo-Nazi forces are here in our country, uh, and you know, I think uh, the truth is that that. Um, we far outnumber them, and I think you know you saw the visuals um, from Boston, uh, and and you know it's um, something you know I, I think that something that uh, Jennifer Crossley, who's a woman who was at the vigil from yeah. Bloomington, said that really has just been ringing through my brain since she said it, which is that you know she said white people, you cannot become complacent. You know you're here now. Where are you going to be next week and next year? And I think it was a wake up call. Uh, to, to those of us who, who want to, you know, stand shoulder to shoulder um, against racial injustice to do it. You know, when, when you see the numbers in Baltimore, it really uh, affirmed something that I was hoping that I would see, that there are more good people who would stand up to, to the, the racism and the nonsense. When you see they only had 30 people that turned out for the rally, and even, even the best estimates put it at 40. But people who were opposed to to the uh, neo Nazis and white supremacists numbered I think uh, twenty thousand plus. So I think Leela had a question. Yeah, why do you think this is happening now? I mean, I think that you know Trump has has brought into his cabinet uh, white supremacist advisors who are engaging in dog whistle politics to um, folks who they're trying to give a voice to, you know, and they're, they're really encouraging, uh, you know, some of the worst um, impulses in our society. And, and this is, you know, they're encouraging uh, folks to turn on each other. Um, you know, obviously they're emboldening um, feelings uh, that have been there, uh, that, have, that are now coming to the surface. But when you look at the Southern Poverty Law Center data on, you know, the number of, of hate crimes and hate speech and, you know, in schools and bathrooms, you know, the, uh, people's kids have had to deal with on, you know, churches and um, on the Beeline Trail and Bloomington, you know, I mean, everywhere, you name it, right? Um, you know, people have felt emboldened by this election. And, you know, Trump's failure to condemn it uh, you know, right. there there are not two sides in this situation. There's right and there's wrong. You know, so you know you understand how things work in Washington D.C. 
So General Kelly comes in and he cleans house. First, he gets rid of uh, the mooch. And then I'm, I'm pretty sure he orchestrated uh, Steve Bannon's uh, ouster. So even though General Kelly comes in and cleans house, the mold is still in the house. How much of a difference is that going to make just because he gets rid of a few staffers? Yeah. Um, you know, I mean, I think leadership starts from the top. And I do not hold out a lot of hope, uh, you know, for, for what we're seeing right now. Um, you know, it really should not be hard uh, to condemn neo-Nazis. I mean, this is, this is like softball politics for, for any politician to do. And the fact that he was unable to do it, you know, and uh, had that mealy mouth response that got even worse, uh, you know, 24 and 48 hours later, um, I, I do not hold out much hope uh, for, for, you know, this administration on these issues. So they want to spread their rhetoric. Should we not listen to what they're saying? Obviously, they're afraid of something. But should we just say, you are wrong, you are wrong, or should we actually listen? What do you think? Uh, that's, I mean, of course I think it, that, that listening is critically important. I mean, we need to fight back against um, and, and I think it's, it's incumbent on white people to fight back against, you know, uh, you know this, this um, neo-Nazi and white supremacist element in our country. But I also think, you know, there is a role uh, for, for folks to have these difficult conversations within families, right? Um, and, you know, that's, I was at a training uh, in New Albany um, this week on this topic, this weekend, um, uh, and sort of how to talk to your coworkers, your friends. These are conversations um, that are that are critically important to have. Um, and I think you know, they're conversations. You know, honestly, um, as you know, like white people are really bad at talking about race. <laughs> it's an obvious thing, um, and and we have to be more willing to engage and willing to um, to to ask. Um, our friends of color, you know, how this is affecting them and what they, what they think the right response should be, but also to have difficult conversations with our friends um, who are white, who, who may, you know, harbor some of these feelings because, you know, we need to make a pretty big change and a pretty big shift in this country. Um, and it's not going to happen if we just, you know, go around in silos and, you know, um, you know with not, not really willing to engage with each other and to try to do the hard work. So, so I think that is important. Well, we have a congressman who stays in his silo. Now, I have to admit, I have not gone out of my way to do any research to find out if uh, Trey Hollingsworth has commented on the events in Charlottesville. But uh, I have not heard anything from him. You know, you have some congressmen stepping out and, and uh, doing press releases, tweets, or whatever. I, I think they should all step out face-to-face. -face. But... I uh, haven't even heard that much from Trey Hollingsworth. Yeah, uh, he said very little. about. I, I did kind of pay attention to what he was doing, very, very little. Um, I, I think you're right. It's incumbent on every single elected official in this country uh, to take a stand, and they need to take a stand, you know, in no uncertain terms against white supremacy, against neo-Nazis. As I said, um, it's 
frankly, no great act of moral leadership because this should, I mean, this is like the, you know, baseline for participation in politics, right? Um, that, that we all should be able to condemn neo-Nazism out of the gate without even blinking. So, um, and white supremacy. So, you know, and I, I of course, am not elected, um, but for what it's worth, you know, did put out a statement and uh, do my best to, to try to help with sort of the vacuum in, in moral leadership that we're suffering in this district um, from our elected member. Okay, I want to go back to uh, some of your work as, as a labor lawyer. There was uh, one case where you found out about uh, women working in retail jobs, being told they couldn't uh, carry a water bottle or even sit down during a long shift uh, despite doctor's orders. How did you approach that, and what was the outcome? Mm-hmm. So I was working um, with the our Walmart campaign of Walmart workers, and they came to me and said, you know, we have a lot of women here who are you know, if you're in a physically demanding job and you're pregnant, uh, at some point your doctor might say, I don't want you to carry more than 40 pounds or 35 pounds, you know, with four months into pregnancy, or I need you to not get on a 10-foot ladder. You can be on a five-foot ladder, but not 10. And, you know, I need you to actually drink during the day so you don't get dehydrated, which can lead to complications. And those were the kinds of doctor's notes that they're actually extremely routine. Um, and, you know, if you're at a desk job, really not a big deal. But if you're um, at a job where you are, you know, walking around the floor or doing physically demanding work, you need to, alert, you know, alert your employer and get that accommodation made um, so, that, so that you can, you know, be able to follow your doctor's orders. Well, they came to me and said, you know, we're getting these doctor's notes, and instead of following our doctor's orders, they're saying, well, all we can really do for you is I guess you can go out, if you've got FMLA, you can go out on unpaid leave, and of course then they use it all up, and you know, before they have the baby, and then there's no time off, you know, to bond with your new child. Um, So you could do that. You could, um, you know, just suck it up and not, not follow your doctor's orders and risk your pregnancy. That was another option. Um, you know, and so they came and said, you know, this seems really wrong to us and we're really worried for our babies, you know, and for, for the health of our pregnancies. And so, you know, when I looked at their policy, um, it was one of those times when the policy on its face was just a clear violation of the law. So, um, you know, if you were a worker and you had an on-the-job injury or you had a disability, you could have any accommodation sort of under the sun, right? Um, but if you were a worker who was pregnant and you needed an accommodation uh, for that reason, you know, there was, there was almost nothing they could do for you. I mean, it was very slim, slim pickings and, and nothing that the women actually needed. So we wound up, you know, we tried to negotiate it and that was unsuccessful. Um, which was unfortunate, and we wound up having to go to the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission uh, to get results and and file a complaint. Um, And so when we did that, they did change the policy uh, for the women, which was, you know, so important uh, in order to make sure that they could have healthy babies and healthy pregnancies. And there were women, and of course I'm no doctor and I can't say cause and effect, but who had suffered miscarriages and that kind of thing. Okay. Hey, Liz, one more quick question, then we have to wrap it up. Uh, Was this in Indiana? No, um, that was a case that I brought on behalf of um, Walmart workers across the country. Okay. We have about 30 seconds left, so I want to give you the last few moments to uh, say anything that you want to the voters who are listening to our show. Okay. 
Um, I think it's time for a change in Congress. I think we need to put somebody in who actually understands the struggles our families are facing. Too many are living paycheck to paycheck um, and not able to get by. I think it matters to put somebody in who's got the experience needed to get the job done. Um, I have that experience, and I am a fighter, and I want to fight for Hoosier families. I want to fight for Southern Indiana. I want to fight for every single one of us to have a good life for us and for our families. Outstanding. Okay. Well, thank you very much, Liz. We'll have to maybe do a follow-up at some point in the future when you get really heavy into, cam into campaign mode. It would be a pleasure, William. All right. Thanks again. Okay. Thanks for having me. Bye-bye. We want to thank Attorney Liz Watson for joining us to discuss her candidacy for Indiana's 9th Congressional District. To learn more about her, visit her Facebook page at facebook.com slash Liz for Indiana. Bring It On has an open submission policy, so if you have an idea for this program, we would like to hear it. Send your emails directly to our volunteer staff. The address is bringiton at wfhb.org. We want to make sure we share any and everything affecting the African-American community with our listening audience in Bloomington and beyond. That email address, once again, bring it on at wfhb.org. Support for WFHB comes from Limestone Post, an online culture and lifestyle magazine for Bloomington and beyond. Explore articles, photo essays, and videos of the art outdoors, local history, community events, and all the topics that make Bloomington such a great place to live. Limestone Post. Writers with a voice, photographers with a vision. Online at limestonepostmagazine.com. Play the victim role Satisfy my need to be right Always feeling so alone Neglected by the men in my life Well, they were just doing what I wanted See, they were just giving what I gave But now I want the real thing So let it be a new path I pay Destiny. Who am I to live to be? The universe keeps blessing me Every single time I renege Filled with insecurity Sabotaging royalty Planned mediocrity Self-fulfilled prophecy Afraid to let them see
this time I'm seeking more. Yeah, I need more. More and more and more and more. So now I'm gonna face my fears. I'm not gonna close my eyes. I stay and make it before you. You see, I release my disguise. Baby, now. Fall in love with me, yeah. I can fall in love with me, yeah. I can love me. I know that I want, I want more. What am I waiting for? I think I'm ready now. Forget what they told me. Ground can't hold me. You know that you want more. What are you waiting for? daughter of the late comedian civil rights activist Dick Gregory. Mr. Gregory passed away over the weekend at the age of 91. You know, I, I did not know Dick Gregory had a daughter, a daughter in the music industry. I, I didn't either. And yeah. she's good, too. I, I, I like that last track. Anyhow, this is Bring It On, the People's Forum for Black Culture in South Central Indiana and beyond. Are you a tweeter? If so, you're invited to follow the WFHB News Twitter account. It's a great way to get breaking news and updates on what's going on behind the scenes and on the air with WFHB News. Simply go to twitter.com and search for WFHB News. 
or you can always visit our news website at wfhb.org news. To keep up with local news and find out what's happening behind the scenes at WFHB, you're invited to like the WFHB Facebook page. Go to Facebook.com and search for WFHB, or you can always visit the WFHB News website at WFHB.org news. Bring It On is Indiana's only public affairs program dedicated to the African-American community here on WFHB 91.3 FM and live on the web at WFHB.org. For Bring It On, I'm William Hosea. And I'm Leela Randall. At the top of the hour, we shared that Bring It On contributor Beverly Callender Anderson was coming on to promote an upcoming Bloomington Comedy Attic performance by Tiffany Haddish. Tiffany is well known for the movie Girls Trip and Nikisha on The Carmichael Show. Beverly joins us in studio. Bev, welcome home. Thank you. Thank you. It's good to be here. I was saying I hadn't been here for a long time, so it's good to be back. So I hear this young lady, Tiffany Haddish, is blowing up and she's going to bring some of that explosion to Bloomington. She is. She will be in Bloomington this coming Thursday, Friday, and Saturday, appearing at the Comedy Attic for one show on Thursday and then two shows each on Friday and Saturday. And she is, I wouldn't even call her an up-and-coming comedian anymore. I mean, she has she has come up. Oh, um, she has arrived. She has arrived, yes, right. with with Girls Trip and the Carmichael Show and some other things she's done. She's got her new stand-up, I think, was on Showtime um, this past Friday. Uh, she had a stand-up performance. So um, she's doing really great things and is very, very funny. Uh, but is also she also has a very big heart. So we're lucky to get her in Bloomington. Um, I did ask Jared Thompson, who is the owner of the Comedy Attic, how did that happen? And apparently they had a relationship some years ago, and she always promised him he she would come to Bloomington, but she was either filming or something else was going on, and so she wasn't able to schedule it. Now that she's on a little hiatus from filming, mm-hmm. she's able to, to make it happen. And so she reached out and... and um, they got it scheduled, and so it is. It is a. It's a coup for the comedy addict and and for Bloomington to have Tiffany here. Okay, wait a minute. Stop the press before we go any further. Girls Trip. Yes. Is that the one where Jada Pinkett was swinging over? The yes, room? that's exactly it. So, so have you seen it, Beverly? Have you seen it, Beverly? Uh, I have not seen it. it no, okay. but I'm going to okay. see it before Thursday. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, I haven't seen. It. I've seen all the previews. I've listened to. I saw that preview. Yeah, Jada Pinkett Smith and Queen Latifah and Regina Hall. I've, I've listened to them talk about how much fun it was. So yeah. You know, uh, Jada Pinkett and Queen Latifah. I remember the last movie they off. were in together set, up, set it off that yes. was that was the bomb yeah i always stop and watch it when it's on I oh always yeah when i'm like yeah. cruising through this and channels. apparently they hadn't they had worked together behind the scenes but uh-huh. they hadn't been on screen together okay. since set it off so this was a reunion of types for them too and um tiffany haddish said at, i looked at one interview that she had that when she was a young girl one of the things she always said is that she wanted to be and she wanted to act with Jada Pinkett Smith. Oh, is that right? And and this was sort of like her dream come true to do this. So um, now, <clears throat> my wife and I want to go to the show. Okay. But uh, I gotta, you know, find out what kind of, what kind of material she's using. Is it is it mature audiences only or what? It it is a very mature show. Um, if yes, I'll be going by myself. If, if if you have heightened sensibilities, you may want to sit this one out. You know, I like the way you. <laughs> 
heightened sensibility. Okay, but, okay. But I am told by Jared and and other people that know her that she is extremely funny. Is that and, right? And does it does everything very very well. So how much are the tickets? The tickets are twenty dollars a piece, I believe. Um, I write that down. But I'm almost Buster. sure that's what it is. No, they're at the Comedy Attic. So you can go to comedyattic.com, uh-huh. um, and then you can get tickets there. Okay. Yeah. So um, one of the one of the things, and the way the reason I'm here talking about this, and the reason I got involved in it is, um, as Tiffany Haddish was growing up, she, after a, a car accident where, that injured her mother, be, became a foster child. She was living in foster homes, and one of the things that she always remembered was the indignity of having to put all of her possessions into black trash bags and so whenever she would go from foster home to foster home she had to just throw her things in a bag and so she wanted to take that stigma and that indignity away from any other foster child you know now or in the future and so whenever she does a performance um, she asked the uh, coordinators to work with foster care agencies and do a suitcase drive so that every foster child will have access to a suitcase. And so our department with the city, the Community and Family Resources Department, is working with the Comedy Attic to coordinate that suitcase drive. And we're asking anybody that attends the show to bring a new or gently used duffel bag or suitcase, um, which will then be donated to Villages of Indiana. And so the things that you bring, um, or the listeners that you bring, will uh, stay at, stay in Bloomington for the most part. So um, just bring it to the comedy. So attic just bring it to the, the comedy show. attic, um, and they will pack them up, and we'll get them over to the villages. If there are people who are not coming to the show but would like to donate, and you can do that as well, then we're asking that you bring them to City Hall to the Community and Family mm. Resources Department before Friday. To your office. To my office, yeah, in Suite Two Sixty in the um, in the City Hall. You know, it's it's interesting. Um, you kind of assume that foster children suffer uh, many different types of trauma, mm-hmm. uh, emotional, mental, whatever. But I would have never thought that something as simple as a suitcase mm-hmm. or, or a duffel bag could be so impactful yeah. on a child that, that, that's going through that system. Yeah. And, you know, because they don't really have anything that's their own. Yeah. Um, you know, when you're in a foster home, you're in someone else's home, you're and you're subject to to their control you know and so you have no control over anything and then to see the little that you do have thrown into a trash bag as opposed to in this suitcase so this way not only do you travel like everyone else with a suitcase or a duffel bag but then it also is something that belongs to you so it it sounds like she probably suffered through that experience several times oh i'm sure she did to stay with her like that and inspire her to do this kind of work and reach mm-hmm. back uh, to help other children. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure that it, I mean, I don't know how many times she was moved, but this happened when she was nine. Her mother was in a car accident mm-hmm. and suffered brain damage when she was nine years old. And she had other brothers and sisters. So she ended up being the eldest, taking care of her mother and her brothers and sisters. And ultimately, I think that lasted about two years, but ultimately they were split up. And She was just too young. And she was just too young to do that. So and so... Um, so between nine and whatever time they were reunited, um, she probably did go from home to home and then just see her clothes just, you know, shoved yeah. into a bag. Yeah. And I and I think that that can have I mean, you know, that's very traumatic because have you had any contact with her? Because I, no, not I with know her you're directly. working to bring uh, yeah. uh, to coordinate an interview mm-hmm. with her. So we're, we're still kind of waiting uh, 
uh, you, you're waiting to hear back from I'm her publicist. I'm waiting to hear from her publicist. So I've been in contact with her publicist, but I've not talked to her directly. But I am looking forward to meeting her, though. Well, and she's even more so looking forward to meeting you. I mean, you, you, you know, <laughs> Beverly Callan Anderson, come on now. <laughs> Oh, she's a, she's a la the lady of the city, right? <laughs> city of Bloomington. Just a social worker with a mortgage. <laughs> <laughs> so do you know if uh, Ms. Haddish is, is working uh, to promote any other causes? No, I think that is the one. I mean, for for foster children. For, well, I think the suitcase drive is her thing. I uh -huh. mean, I just, I, there. she was recently at um, University of Southern California, and she did a suitcase drive. Because what she, what she said is she believes every child deserves a warm place to stay and some place to put their belongings. Mm -hmm. And so she can take care of the one, and then she's letting the agencies take care of, you know, the safe place to stay. So wherever she goes and performs, she kind of does a drive mm -hmm. in that location, and, and the proceeds uh, remain local. Well, I'm not sure about other places, but that uh -huh. was just one of the things that we asked is, is that things remain local because we do have an agency here okay. that works with foster kids. So it probably depends on the city and, if, you know, what resources they have there. Well, since uh, she's going to be working on behalf of the agency here in Bloomington for foster children, what agency, what's the name of the agency? So it's Villages about? of Indiana. Villages and, of Indiana. Yeah, and so they have agencies all across the um, state, and they serve about 3,000 children and their families. And they always say they champion every child's right to a safe, permanent, and nurturing home. So, Do you have um, a phone number for that? I don't or have a website? phone number for Villages, but, I mean, it's... You can it Google, can Villages, Google. Of yeah. in, Villages of Indiana. Villages of Indiana. And see, people might want to... Uh, become more involved just by hearing about the effort mm -hmm. on the show here. Well, and I'm sure that, that villages can use volunteers. They can use, yeah. you know, donations, um, They and, and certainly more than this. And I know that they do, like, diaper drives and things like that because uh -huh. they have foster kids from at, at all ages, all different ages. So, so. in your um, job as Community and Family Resources Director, did I get that right? Yes, you, you know, did. that's longer than my rank was <laughs> when I was in the military. <laughs> Have you had any contact or any dealings with Villages of Indiana? Not recently in the past. I mean, I've, I connected them with this, but in the past I, I did some work with Villages. Um, n um, and when I was in, actually when I was in Chicago, I used to work for an agency that placed fo children into foster homes. And so I sort of know what that's wow. like. Yeah. So you have a heart for foster children. Oh, right? I do. I do. You gonna pick up a couple of them when you leave here? Not a chance. <laughs> not okay. that. Not. I just don't think that's my calling. Well, let's talk about uh, Miss Haddish. Miss mm -hmm. Haddish again. So she did Girls Trip, uh, Nikisha on the Carmichael Show. Now, I have not had the pleasure. Oh, you should. The Carmichael Show the is Carmichael so show. good. I saw it in my lineup uh, on, on my uh, channel guide yeah. last night, and, and I paused for a minute, and then I kept going. Yeah. So so you you saying I should definitely go out you and check out the Carmichael should. Show. You definitely should. The Carmichael Show is a sleeper. Like, you it didn't, is? yeah, you, you don't really, I mean, you know some of the folks, you know, that are on it, but um, they deal with some really interesting issues. One of the, the more recent... Um, ones that I saw, and it's prime time, so it doesn't get too deep, but one of the more recent ones that I saw was dealing with why the the uh, lead character was not marrying his girlfriend, and and then someone asked, mm. wanted to be in a threesome with them, and what did that mean to their relationship, and I mean, so it was just, it was just really interestingly, it was interesting, and it was interestingly dealt with, and dealt with in a way that Real it could be shown so. on prime time, yeah. Yeah. So... 
I don't. I don't. You're gonna have to catch it because they're not renewed. That's right. uh, compare, oh, they're not renewed. No, is that right? Oh, compare that to Blackish. Um, so Blackish is. I'm gonna say this, and I don't really mean it this way, so I'm not gonna say it. So, <laughs> so, so Blackish is sort of like messed the, me up. It's like the Cosby Show, where where you know you've got these two professionals that are, uh-huh. and and the, the Carmichael Show are just some middle class, working class folk that with working class values that have those kinds of conversations and and it's laborers yeah and it's and it's um david allen greer and i can't remember the woman's name that's on it i like david allen greer yeah david allen greer is great and it's him and his two sons and and tiffany haddish plays one of the son's ex-wives and then it's this the other son has a new wife and so it's just that family dynamic so they're yeah. both family shows but just on a different kind it's of like level loretta, loretta divine loretta divine yeah oh, that's she's it. in there too. yeah i like her yeah, too yeah. She's, really, she's really good now we don't promote tv shows but if i had to i'm gonna say i, I i'll probably go and check out the carmichael show. i would th- I, I think you would i think you'd be pleased so um we have about one minute left um we're talking to our Bring It On contributor, Beverly Callender Anderson, and she's here to promote the uh, Comedy Attic performance by Tiffany Haddish. So I'm, I'm really hoping that her publicist comes through tomorrow. I do, too. We I can, hope uh, she does. We can make this happen. Yeah, and I would just say, too, if, if people have any other questions about yeah. getting tickets, they can call the Comedy Attic at 812-336-5233, or they can call my office at 812-349-3560. Spoiler alert, it's going to be a dynamite show, right? It's going to be a dynamite show, and it may sell out, so they better hurry up. All right, then. Like I said, I'll be going by myself. <laughs> well, <laughs> and, and tickets are available on ComedyAddict.com. And Thursday's show is at 8 o'clock. Friday's shows are at 8 and 10.30. And Saturday's shows are at 8.30 and 10.30. So what was that phrase you used for people who can't take the, the hard liquor? If you, if you have heightened sensibilities, okay, okay. <laughs> you may want to sit this one out and bring a suitcase or a duffel bag to City Hall ahead of time so you can still there you participate. Go. There you go. You know what? My daughter just left, and she, and I bought her new luggage. Yeah. So now I know where her luggage because I saw it sitting up there. I'm like, what am I going to do with that? You well, know, now so. you know. Now, now you I know. know. Yeah. yeah. And, and my daughter just left town and left a whole bunch of luggage down in my shed. <laughs> <laughs> so, so now you know what you're going to do with it. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah, so I, I hope people turn out. And like I said, it's it's going to be a good show, but it's also a very good cause. And I, I sort of tip my hat to Tiffany Haddish for, for doing this in communities where mm-hmm. she goes to give shows. Because, you know, we see different people come through here all the time, but this way she leaves a little bit of herself behind, too. Yeah. And what was the, the owner's name of the comedy addict? His name is Jarrett Thompson. Jarrett Thompson. Yeah. We might have to get him on the show. Yeah, here. I'm sure he'd be glad to One come day. on. That sounds like a pretty interesting interview, a, a, a comedy club owner. Yeah, yeah. And he's really good about, you know, having diverse acts in the in the club. So that would be good. So I'm sure all I have to do is call him and say BCA. He, you know, <laughs> I'm there. Uh, whatever I can do. <laughs> okay. We want to thank Bring It On contributor Beverly Cal- Calendar Anderson for joining us tonight to discuss 
to promote an upcoming Bl Bloomington Comedy Attic performance by Tiffany Haddish. Thank you, Clarence Boone, for making that a tongue twister, okay? He's, he's, our, he's our copy editor. We have much to thank Clarence for. <laughs> if you have an event that you want us to know about, and it's, if you have an opinion of current black issues, send your comments to Bring It On at wfhb.org. For Bring It On, I'm William Hosea. And I'm Leela Randall. You're listening to Bring It On, Indiana's only public affairs program dedicated to the African-American community. <coughs> Here on WFHB 91.3 FM on your radio and live on the web at WFHB.org. We also want to thank Attorney Liz Watson for joining us to discuss her candidacy for Indiana's 9th Congressional District. To learn more about her, visit her Facebook page, on facebook.com forward slash Liz for Indiana. Our show's executive producer is Clarence Boone with help from WFHB News Department Director Wes Martin. Our board engineer is Jim Thrasher and our original theme music was created by Jamil Effiam with additional background tracks by David Baker. For WFHB, I'm Leela Randall. And I'm William Hosea. Tune in next Monday, August 28th at 6 p.m. for another exciting broadcast right here on Bring It On, your community radio station on WFHB. You've been listening to Bring It On, a volunteer-powered production of Community Radio WFHB in Bloomington, Indiana. Bring It On is your forum for open dialogue on the people, issues, and events affecting the African-American community in South Central Indiana and beyond. Send your comments, suggestions, and story ideas directly to the Bring It On staff. The email address is bringit at wfhb.org. That's bringit at wfhb.org.